Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Thanks to Steve Angeli, Notre Dame's new quarterback commit as of Thursday night. We set ourselves up with a well-timed podcast here on Friday. And who better to have on today's podcast than the man himself? Steve, a junior from Bergen Catholic in New Jersey, became the eighth commitment in Notre Dame's 2022 class. Steve, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's just start with what went into your decision to, to commit to Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it was a long recruiting process, you know, going through everything, you know, exploring every option. But, uh, you know, I really just came back to my first call with, you know, offense coordinator, you know, Coach Reese and, you know, everything that uh, we went over, you know, my, my first call with him, my first talk with him, you know, r- right away, you know, I think we both kind of felt that special bond, that special connection. You know, we, we spoke about my game and you know, football, but most importantly, we, we talked about, you know, life and, and who I am as a person, you know, my intangibles mostly, and our conversation lasted about an hour. And then uh, when I got that offer in August, you know, that that special feeling for me and my family, it, it just, you know, it's hard to describe. And then, you know, getting some more offers after that and, you know, playing my season, you know, not really any other offer interaction kind of felt the same way, like, you know, with Coach Rees and, and everything that they did. So, you know, when the dead period got pushed back again and, you know, people started, you know, dominoes started to fall, obviously. And what else was I really waiting for? You know, there, there wasn't anything else. You know, I, I knew that in my heart, you know, Notre Dame was the place I wanted to be. And, you know, the people and the coaches that I wanted to be around and join that, you know, uh, join that, you know, elite group of people that, you know, are, are you know, students at Notre Dame, but also athletes. And, you know, I, that just kind of fueled everything into my commitment as well as, you know, all the connection that I have with, you know, my brother playing with Quentin Nelson, Brandon Wimbush, Jason and Justin Adamola, you know, uh, Shane Simon. And then, you know, knowing those guys personally, having a great connection with them. And, you know, obviously my great uncle Pete, you know, winning a, you know, winning a national championship with Notre Dame in 1946. So just everything that led up to that, you know, and, and taking a step back and, looking away at, you know, every possible aspect, you know, trying to see what could possibly be wrong with Notre Dame even too. And, and, you know, coming back from that, there was nothing that I could find. And, 
nothing that really stood out to me. And then, you know, all I, all I knew that I had to do was make it official and, and, you know, start, start my journey as, you know, being an Notre Dame quarterback commit and, and being somebody that is, you know, being able to have that title as, as a, uh, you know, a Notre Dame quarterback, you know, it holds a lot of value and with that comes a lot of responsibility and, and a lot of, uh, you know, opportunities. Steve, um, number one, can you and will you enroll early? Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that is the plan right now. Okay. And then just following up on some of your reasons for choosing Notre Dame, the, the self-guided tour concept is interesting to me. I haven't heard anybody kind of describe what happens on that. I just wondered if that was – I mean, if that helped you make the decision, was that helpful at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was. I mean, you know, everybody from the start was speculating Notre Dame was the place for me. And, you know, obviously I was very high on Notre Dame from the start. But, you know, I, I, I was – that was my first time ever being on South Bend. You know, I, I've never been to South Bend. I've never been on campus. You know, I've never seen historic places like the Dome, you know, Touchdown Jesus, you know, the Grotto and, and everything that, you know, Notre Dame was about. So stepping on campus with me and my dad and just, you know, walking around and, you know, seeing some of the historic spots, seeing the stadium from the outside, you know, trying to see the Gug and everything that I could. And, and you know, it, it was just awesome to be able to kind of finally now, you know, get my own bearings of South Bend and, and the campus and, see everything for myself and not having to kind of see zooms and see pictures and, and kind of develop my own kind of sight of what Notre Dame is. You mentioned seeing the zooms and seeing things from afar. How, how did Notre Dame handle that? And how did that compare to maybe some of the other schools that were recruiting you sort of virtually as it's been, as it's been described uh, when you, you can't make the visits like you normally would? They were great. I mean, you know, they, they, uh, you know, schools could, you know, have a tendency to sometimes over recruit sometimes. And they were the furthest from that. I, I think they gave me great space, but also remained, you know, excellent contact, you know, every call that I had with coach Rees and, and every call that I had with coach Pauline. And then, you know, my final call with coach Kelly and, you know, a couple other virtual visits, you know, the excellence tour program, you know, they did a great job. They, they showed me everything that they could in a sense during the unfortunate times we had of, what Notre Dame was about and what Notre Dame meant to them without me really being able to see the people and everything like that. You know, they really told me that with Notre Dame, you know, what makes Notre Dame is the people. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing that I kind of missed out, but already I knew the type of people that have gone to Notre Dame and I know people from New Jersey and my town that are graduates of Notre Dame. So I already had a sense of what that was like. So that, you know, just everything combined was really solid and, and really, you know, well planned out. Steve, did, have you ever met Ian Book or Tyler Buckner? Or I know you, I would imagine you know Brandon Wimbush. And, and did you discuss your recruitment with any of those guys? Brandon, you know, I haven't met Tyler. I have, I've not met Drew or Ian or any of those guys. But uh, from everything I, you know, that I've seen on TV and everything that Coach Reese has said, that they seem like, you know, great people, great quarterbacks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to join that quarterback room. But, uh, Brandon, you know, Brandon was, you know, a, a huge, huge help in my recruitment. Uh, you know, he really, you know, gave me an inside look at what it was like, you know, playing under Coach Kelly and under Coach Rees at the time, even though he wasn't, you know, the OC, but as a quarterback coach. Uh, just everything that, you know, Coach Rees has done and, you know, maybe some stuff that, you know, Coach Rees maybe wouldn't brag about himself or stuff like that, Brandon would tell me. And, you know, it was great to kind of get a – person that 
I've known for almost all of my football life, you know, being on the sidelines with him when my brother was in high school. And he really helped me understand, you know, how special of a place Notre Dame was. And, you know, growing up, I, I wanted to be, you know, he, he's obviously one of the best quarterbacks to come out of New Jersey. And, you know, I, I wanted to follow in that footstep and be able to do that as well. And he really helped me understand, like I said, what Notre Dame was about. And most importantly, what the people were like and, and how they interacted with, you know, people on campus that are regular students and also the student athletes and, and the people that, you know, I'll be lucky enough to share a locker room with. Speaking of Tommy Reese uh, and the insights that Brandon maybe gave you to him, what, what is your relationship with Tommy like and, uh, or to you, Coach Reese, uh, and, and what do you believe that he can do for you at Notre Dame? My relationship with coach is awesome. Like I said, from the first conversation we had on the phone, he, he is a straight shooter and an honest guy. And that's hard to find in the recruiting process, right? You know, it, you know, there's people that are going to tell you what you want to hear, but they, they won't be straight up with you. And coach was the exact opposite from that. He was honest to me and, and told me everything that was true and told me everything that, you know, he, he has in mind for, you know, what it would be. And, you know, he, he let me know what type of challenge it is and what type of kind of work it takes and, and, you know, to be the quarterback in Notre Dame. And, and, you know, he really made it uh, known that, you know, when you are a quarterback at the university of Notre Dame, it is a lifestyle. It's not, you know, a, you know, a night job or, you know, just on the field job, it, it is a lifestyle. And I really think that he helped me understand and, and how to kind of embrace that so far. And, understand everything like that and you know to the football aspect just understanding that you know he played at Notre Dame he understands what it's like to play in those big games and be coached by coach Kelly and play you know with, with that gold helmet on and you know he he understands how to uh you know kind of help me develop you know turn me into the best version of myself at the college level and ultimately help me reach my dreams of you know becoming an NFL quarterback one day. Steve, I feel sorry for you guys only got to play, what, six games this year? Yes, sir. What do, you, what do you feel like you got done in those six games? And what, with a full season still ahead of you, do you feel like you can use that season to develop? Yeah, I mean, this was obviously, you know, as everyone knows, my first year starting at one of the top uh, one of the top high school programs in, in New Jersey and one of the hardest leagues in the country. So, uh you know, it, it was it was really great, you know, for, for the time that, you know, we only had six games and everything like that. But I really grew a lot in those six games. I, I think I learned a, a, a great amount of knowledge of, you know, being able to uh, be the starting quarterback of a team and, and, you know, understanding how to be the leadership of that team and, and be the guy in the locker room and, and an extension of the coach on the field. You know, I, I think I really showed my skill set of uh, being able to, you know, handle pressure, you know, uh, make all types of throws around the field, you know, tuck the ball down and run, kind of play in, in multiple types of offense. Because, you know, if you turn on my tape, I'm, I'm under center, you know, I'm, I'm in the gun, I'm doing sprint out, uh, you know, I'm doing play action, you know, we're playing eye spread, you know, multiple tight end sets, uh, anything like that. I, I think I showed my versatility and being a quarterback and in my opinion, I feel like I chess, you know, I checked a lot of boxes and even showed that, you know, I'm, I'm able to, you know, go through a couple of read, you know, not a couple, but go through reads, go through progressions and be able to uh, kind of have a high football IQ. Steve, you, you had offers before you were even the full-time start, starting quarterback at Bergen Catholic. Why, 
Why do you think you were able to attract that attention so early in your career, despite not all, not having a ton of experience on the field? I, I think, you know, when, you know, I get put in a uh, competitive environment and, you know, maybe try and, you know, see some adversity thrown my way. I think that's when I do my best. I think that's when, you know, you really see people for who they are when, when, you know, they, they come across adversity and are put in a competitive or difficult situations, you see what they're really made of. And I think, you know, going to some of those camps competing against, you know, high, you know, guys that were, you know, three years older than me when I was a 15, 14, 15, 16 year old kid and stuff like that, just, just, uh, trying to get my name on, you know, the, the recruiting board and, and trying to make my dream of college football come true that coaches were able to see, you know, my, my mechanics, you know, were there, you know, I got to give credit to uh, my quarterback coach, Matt Bastardi, who I've been with for seven years and, you know, coach Vito Campanelli and my quarterback coach at school, John Germano, you know, they've helped me develop, uh, you know, from the time I got on campus and ever since I've been playing quarterback and, I think coaches took notice of that, you know, especially, you know, my size already, you know, at the age I was and my testing results and, and everything that I was able to do at camp. I think it gave them the, you know, so-called the the ceiling level of what my potential would have been and, and what I could accomplish. So I, I think that's why, you know, I was able to earn some of those offers early. You had mentioned your brother knew um, Quentin Nelson and I think might have played for Craig Nelson. Is that right? Yes, sir. So, so did you get to know Quentin and did he ever um, <laughs> get physical with you, I guess? <laughs> I mean, I mean, knowing, knowing uh, Mr. Nelson and him coaching my brother, the, the stories are, are amazing to hear from my brother and, you know, everything that they did when they were playing in Pop Warner. But, uh, you know, when I got that offer, you know, Quentin reached out, you know, Mr. Nelson reached out, just kind of gave me a little bit of insight and, you know, it just shows how 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 the network of Notre Dame people and student athletes is is so strong and is just growing every day. So when when you know when they reached out and everything like that, you know, just hearing from Quinn again, and you know, he he was he was a guy that you know when I was whatever three four going to my brother's Pop Warner games and seeing them two play alongside each other, not even knowing that, like, I wanted to play football seriously because I was a basketball guy, like, growing up and everything like that. So just just seeing that and everything like that, just just it's, it's great to kind of know that Quentin, you know, went to Notre Dame, had amazing success, and is now arguably, you know, the top, you know, offensive lineman in, uh, in the NFL. I wanted to follow up about the, the camps and stuff because if – you were a year younger, it may have looked a lot different for you. Have you thought about like how different your recruitment would have been if you were a grade below and maybe didn't have these same camp experiences uh, that these guys haven't been able to have because of COVID? You're saying if I was, you know, a 2023 prospect and, and I was going through that situation now during COVID? Right. Yeah. Just maybe didn't be able, weren't able to go to those camps where you got those early offers to get the attention on you because of the COVID situations. I mean, yeah, it's 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 really unimaginable because, you know, it's 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 hard for uh, coaches to, you know, make an offer and invest, you know, so much into somebody that, you know, they can't even shake your hand and, and see how you interact and and the community and your school and everything like that. So I think, you know, the, the, the thing that, you know, if that was with me, you know, I would do my best to put out as much content of me throwing, you know, any workouts, me in the weight room, uh, you know, just, just constant uh, visuals for coaches to check up on and see. Cause I think that 
the more they have, the better, the more stuff that they evaluate. Cause I know going through the process, even with Notre Dame, uh, they checked out every single video of me on the internet, you know, no matter <laughs> what it was, if I was playing basketball or something like that, they wanted to see everything. And I think the more, the better, and, and, you know, really just continue to work hard and you show the progress on your tape and on those type of videos, those type of snippet videos that, you know, you might use. I think Twitter is such a great platform to, you know, get recruited. And I think it's translated over to being, you know, the kind of the top uh, recruiting platform. And, you know, just like I said, it's, it's really unimaginable because I, I, you know, no one really knows how it would be like to kind of go through a COVID season and you're in a kid's shoes that's trying to get recruited and not starting and trying to figure it out. I, I you know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult situation. Steve, do you know any of the other commits in the class? And do you know some of the, even casually, some of the wide receivers that Notre Dame are, is recruiting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to pretty much, you know, all, all seven of the guys already, you know, we, we have kind of our uh, group chat, you know, talking to Tyson, you know, Jack, Ty, you know, Joey, uh, Nolan, you know, JD and, and all those guys. I mean, just already kind of build a relationship with them and, you know, they're a great group of guys. I mean, I, I'm so happy I'm able to uh, build this class with them and, and kind of, you know, start to develop, you know, our legacy and our next class of Notre Dame football. But, you know, knowing some of the prospects that, you know, we, we want to, you know, especially me as, you know, becoming the, the face of the program or the recruiting class, I would say, you know, becoming the face of the 2022 recruiting class. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important for me to, you know, bring the best guys I can with me, especially receivers and I have a great connection with, uh, you know, the Midwest guys playing with uh, Boom Football out in uh, Chicago. So trying to get, you know, Tyler, you know, people like that, Tyler Carnell, Caleb, uh, Tyler Morris, Caleb Brown, you know, those guys to come with me and build something special. You know, I've, I've you know, been trying to see who else, you know, all the way across the country to modern day, you know, talking to CJ Williams, you know, see where he's at trying to figure out, you know, what he's doing and, and trying to bring him with me, you know, Gavin, uh, running back from Valor. You gotcha. know, yep. Yep. Great player, you know, great guy, you know, just, just trying to do what's best to bring the right people, you know, especially the right people in, into the program, you know, the right people that I, I'd want to spend every day with working hard with, and obviously, you know, great athletes. And then especially trying to build, you know, the pipeline from, you know, or down New Jersey to uh, South Bend, you know, with the guys on my team, you know, Jaden Bellamy, Jaden Gould. And, you know, I, I know Audrick's already there just trying to strengthen that, uh, that relationship and that trust between, uh, you know, kind of New Jersey power five football, you know, into South Bend. Steve, it's been less than 24 hours since you committed and announced your commitment on, on Twitter. What's been like the coolest interaction you've seen from someone reaching out to you or a reaction that you've kind of seen somewhere else that maybe they didn't reach out to you personally, but you saw online somewhere. Yeah. I'm, I mean, just, you know, having, uh, you know, a couple of the boom guys that are on, uh, on the team, you know, reaching out, you know, saying congratulations, you know, Jason, uh, Justin, Adam, all just reaching out and, and, you know, congratulating me, obviously Brandon, you know, he, he means a lot to me and, and everything that he did for me throughout this recruitment process, you know, just, he, he's always, you know, his time is always, you know, fantastic when I, when I have a chance to speak with them and, Probably, you know, one of the uh, – another cool one was, you know, Matt Lavecchio, uh, you know, mm-hmm. former Bergen guy, you know, reaching out to me. You know, just just shows also how, how strong, you know, the Bergen Catholic family is and, and everything that they do. But those those have been some of the kind of the cooler ones that, that have reached out. You know, I, I know that there's, you know, a lot of uh, – a lot of, you know, guys that, you know – 
that have reached out and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful just to hear from everybody. <laughs> it's funny to hear you talk about Matt Lavecchio. Cause the thing that I remember is talking to his mom and she would bring sauce on the plane, her special <laughs> pasta sauce. I'm wondering if your mom has a special recipe. Oh, I, I, my, my mom, my mom is a, a tremendous cook first and foremost. Uh, she, she, you know, I, I think, I don't know if she has a special sauce, but she can make some really good lamb chops. I think that's my favorite that she makes. So, I mean, I, I guess she's got to start bringing them on the plane now. That, that's what they're coming to. Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I know certainly this is a weird recruiting cycle for analysts just to sort of get a sense of what you are as a player and give certain rankings out. I, I'm curious if you take any motivation from seeing a three-star rating or that kind of thing, and uh, what kind of goals have you set for yourself to maybe maybe help people see the light on you as a prospect this coming season? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really mean much to me, you know, if I'm a no-star recruit, a five-star recruit, I mean, you know, whatever people want to label me as, you know, it's it's their opinion. And, you know, the only people's opinions I really care about is my coaches, you know, my family, you know, my future teammates, my teammates right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm not really uh, chasing stars. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing championships. That That's really what it comes down to. So that, that's kind of where my mindset is. But I mean, I'll take anything to give me motivation. I'm, I'm a naturally, you know, motivated guy. Uh, you know, I, I just compete against myself every day and, and try and just work as hard as I can and, and, you know, be the best man and be the best football player I can. Last one from me, Steve. COVID in different parts of the country was more restrictive, and it seems like now we're in a kind of a cool cycle where numbers are coming down, people are getting vaccinated and so forth. I mean, are you to the point where you can just say, I'm going to go out and throw the ball today with so-and-so, or I'm going to, I mean, are you able to kind of get back into a normal routine and do the things that you need to do to develop without having to kind of worry about it too much? Uh, it's, it's getting there. I mean, New, New Jersey has, has done a great job uh, kind of from the start with, you know, wearing masks, getting people vaccinated, just, just doing, just doing, in my opinion, you know, the, the right thing for, uh, you know, the whole country and everything. So uh, we, st you know, it was a while since I've been able to be with my team. Uh, it's, you know, three, three and a half months. So we just started getting back into a kind of limited team situation because we, we still aren't allowed to use our own weight room at the school. So wow. we have found, you know, kind of an off-campus off location where, you know, we could, uh, safely and you know uh social distancing you know get get workouts in and and you know start to get that team aspect built in a little bit more but you know being outside and and starting to throw the ball a little bit more and you know kind of have some guys come catch and stuff like that and just get working with uh some other guys that you know i, I compete against and guys that are around me you know because you know i don't live in bergen county i uh i commute up to school i live in union county so it's about an hour drive when when i would have to go up to school but, uh, you know, there, there's guys all across New Jersey that are great football players that I'm able to get working with. And I do feel that, you know, it's starting to cool down a little bit and, you know, it's starting to get a little bit normal and people are starting to get vaccinated. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's getting better, but just, you know, we, we can't slip up and we got to keep going in the right direction. What, what do you listen to on that hour community? You a podcast guy, music guy? Um, I'm, I'm a music guy. I mean, any, any rap EDM, you know, I kind of listen to everything. 
All right, can listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, now I we mean, get I, might, I mean, I might. I, you know, I, the one podcast that I'm starting to get into a little bit is uh, "Bussing with the Boys" with uh, Taylor Luan. Okay. Uh, that one's really great. I, I think that the locker room talk inside of that thing is really cool. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule today to, to join us on the podcast, and uh, best of luck uh, moving forward and going into your senior season. I appreciate it. Go Irish. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's – you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question we have, Eric, is from Chris Fleck1, and it's more of a prompt than a question, uh, given the recent passing of uh, former Notre Dame defensive lineman Lewis Nix. Chris said he cannot get enough Big Lou stories – um, and he asked if Eric has any, I'd love to hear them. Um, I mean, a lot of the Lou stories are funny, but there's some really um, deep kind of really cool stories too. I'll, I'll try to give you just a little sampling of each, you know, when Jalen Smith was coming to Notre Dame, you know, he wore number nine and Lewis already had that number. That was his tribute to Kyle Rudolph, who he was really close with. Um, and he switched to number one, but why he picked number one is because he wanted to crack people up. He actually wanted to have double zero, but they didn't have that at the time. Yeah. He picked number one because he thought it was funny. He, you know, we've talked about his video series. He used to have chocolate news and Tyler and I were talking about this off the air the other day. I mean, it was hilarious. I wish it existed somewhere. I don't think it does. Um, you know, his going grocery shopping. I mean, there were just uh, incredible, you know, little things. Uh, when I spent time with Lewis um, for a magazine story I did for our Endy Insider magazine in 2013, it was in June. So they were in their fantasy camp. And I that's where I kind of went over and met him first. He was coaching running backs. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm athletic. You know, I mean, that's what he wanted to do. Um, and then we went over to the South Dining Hall, and people loved him. And, and I hope when he passed, he knew how loved he was. I don't know that he he understood the scope. I think when Lewis didn't make it in the NFL, he felt like he failed people, and he didn't think that people would love him as much. And And I think – you know, the first indication that maybe he was wrong uh, was when the GoFundMe thing like quadrupled the goal. Right. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll never forget, you know, him almost going pro early so he could get his mom a knee replacement. Yeah. Um, and, and just the last conversation we had, I think it was four days before Christmas. You know, I can't share everything from it, but he, um, I, I would say Lewis still had dreams in December and still had dreams when he passed. And I think, you know, that, that he wasn't able to touch all those is sad, but that he still had those. And he wanted to figure out how to do that within the framework of having a bullet in his lung and, and what, what his future was going to look like. I, I was really proud of him. So that was some great interactions with him. Yeah, I, you you knew him better than I did. Certainly, I I when he was playing at Notre Dame, I was just starting my 
time at the Tribune and mostly covering recruiting. So I, I don't even, I don't even know if I was ever in like an interview session with Lewis and asking Lewis questions necessarily. Um, but I was an avid fan of the chocolate news. Um, Bob Winicky, a former co- co-worker of ours, and I, we shared an office at the tri- old Tribune building and uh, we would sort of watch them repeatedly with Sheldon Day grocery shopping with them and trying to sneak all the honey buns into his, into the shopping cart. And uh, um, they went uh, golfing and uh, I think they were playing pool and Lewis didn't necessarily know all of his teammates names and and was trying to give them shout outs at the end. And I think he even spelled one of their names wrong uh, in the credits that rolled at the end of chocolate news. But uh, that was a, that was a, a definite highlight and certainly very sad day when I realized a few years ago that those were no longer on YouTube. So can't relive, relive those or Stefan to it, trying to eat a, a spoonful of salt. And of course that didn't go too well, but Lewis was a heck of a guy and certainly a lot of people admired and uh, really got to enjoy both on and off the field. And I think that's, um, that says a lot about him. Next question we have is from Berkshire Yank chances of ND having any shot at Archie Arch Manning. Well, Arch Manning is the grandson of Archie Manning and the nephew of Eli and Peyton Manning. He's a 6'3", 190-pound quarterback who lives in New Orleans. He's in the 2023 class, and he's got nine offers already, and a lot of those offers are from schools where there's some family connection, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Duke, Duke being the connection with David Cutcliffe, who coached, um, was, was Peyton's quarterback's coach in college. I think it's going to be, unless he really wants to get away from all those ties and Alabama is one of the people that have offered, I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, he goes to a private school, so he would have that structure that Notre Dame has, but I don't know that Notre Dame will offer him. I I would think they would, but um, I just don't think it's, unless he really wants to get away from all those family connections, which I doubt. Uh, I, I just don't see him leaving the South. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that Berkshire Yank uh, asked us about Arch Manning previously in, in the fall. Um, so I'm not sure that my answer has changed a lot since then. I, that I think he's probably seems destined to stay in the SEC like the rest of the Mannings, like you mentioned. Uh, it, it, but if Notre Dame wants a shot, I would imagine that Tommy Reese would need to offer him sooner rather than later. Notre Dame has not offered a 2023 quarterback yet. Um, and you would think now that they have a 2022 quarterback offer, they can sort of shift their focus to identifying who their top 2023 targets are. And it, it is difficult, like I mentioned with, with Steve, about the younger guys that maybe haven't even been starters yet at their, at their high schools. And, and so it's, it's hard to get a sense of who the, who the future stars will be in that 2023 class. But Arch seems to be one of the guys that's caught a lot of people's attention, not just because of his name, but he's played really well um, – down there in Louisiana early in his high school career. Um, the, the, I, so I don't know that Notre Dame has much of a chance, um, but Notre Dame does seem to do well with sons of prominent families, whether it's like sons of former athletes and stuff like that. So maybe that does open a door. I think there's a, it, t- it seems to be like a lot of successful people, like they want their children to go to places like Notre Dame. And so maybe that opens an avenue for Notre Dame. But Notre Dame's first that. Notre Dame's got to start with showing interest in, and pursuing arts before he can uh, decide if Notre Dame's uh, uh, up his alley or not. 
Next question is from Joe Esquire at Sad Irish Fan 13. Can you give us an overview of spring practice and how it will unfold? Is the team set to have a full schedule of spring practices or has it already been impeded by COVID issues? Well, they were scheduled to have a full complement of them last year and they got sideswiped. They are scheduled to have a full 15. It's likely to start in late March. Why I say likely, they put it in pencil. And then I think the blue gold game would be April 24th. Um, So it's more of a condensed schedule than typical. Um, I I think there's a lot of things, a lot of check marks that they have to hit in the spring practice. Um, I'm going to narrow it down so that I'm not going on with my answer forever. I think the most intriguing thing to me is what the offense comes out of spring looking like. Is it a more modern offense? Is it a more dynamic offense? And what I mean by that is, does it look more like Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State? And a lot of that's going to depend on the quarterback play and these this next wave of fast wide receivers that have little experience. So that's where, I mean, there's a lot of other things. Marcus Freeman's new scheme and that stuff. But I'd say to me, that's the most fascinating thing. Yeah. I don't know that I have much more to add than what you said in terms of what the spring practice setup will look like. Uh, Hopefully it includes us getting a chance to watch a couple of practices, but that might be wishful thinking um, because I think that would be really valuable to us. I, I, I feel like my knowledge of the younger guys who need to step into roles now is, is so much limited because we did a, didn't get to see them last spring or last fall in practices. And so um, I think um, it, it hurts us as, as reporters and sort of, I mean, we can always obviously rely on what coaches tell us, but I think uh, you also want to see it for yourself a little bit to sort of form those opinions. So I think um, it's, it'll be a very important spring for Notre Dame, no doubt. Um, and I'm sure they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they have all, all those practices and, and um, develop the different positions and identify sort of leaders at the position battles that they'll, they'll have a, on a number of spots on the offense and defense. One thing we should mention, because he, he, he mentioned COVID concerns, they still are in their pause of winter workouts, which started Monday. Um, but, when I talked to Jack Swarbrick, uh, the athletic director, he did not think it was going to last that long, but they probably have some safeguards built in if they need to go into the next week. You know, I think they've got cushion to make, get all 15 in in case something happens, but keep in mind in Indiana, we're down to 3.3 positivity rate. Notre Dame campus has had some infections and I've noticed that they've gone down the last few days, but as a state, we're doing incredible. So I don't, I I think that there's a good environment for them to thrive and be able to get through the 15 practices. Next question we have is from NDF underscore discord, assuming everyone stays healthy, predict in order the top five leaders in receptions next season. And he said wide receivers, tight ends and running backs can all be included. Well, that's a good thing. He included that because if you look at the top five from last year coming back, Number one is Michael Mayer, a tight end. Number two is Kyron Williams. Right. Then you had Avery Davis. And then there was a big drop off to Chris Tyree. And then number five tie between Lindsey and uh, Joe Wilkins. So I decided to go with Kevin Austin. I'm still I'm still riding that train. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going with Mayer second, Kyron Williams third. 
Braden Lindsay fourth, Avery Davis fifth, and my bonus sixth spot, Lorenzo Styles Jr. All right. We we don't have a lot of disagreement here because I, I had the same top three with Kevin Austin, Jr., Michael Mayer, Kyron Williams, and then Avery Davis at four and Braden Lindsay at five. Um, so we have we have the same five guys, just a slightly different order at the very bottom of that list. But obviously, I mean, especially with the, when you, you got a, a list that includes Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay, assuming that that they stay healthy is a big assumption. So uh, Notre Dame really needs that to happen, um, and and that will their health will certainly impact whatever the top five ends up being because whether they're in that top five or someone else has to step up because they can't stay healthy. Um, but I, I do, I've, I feel pretty comfortable that those would be the five guys um, on that list. If everyone does stay healthy. Next question, a series of questions actually from uh, at one foot down and let's kind of go one by one. The first one he asked was our top five breads. And I know you, uh, you feel very passionate about this topic, Eric. <laughs> I've never been asked that question before. I've never even been asked my top three breads. <laughs> so my top, kind of bread would be the kind that you put in your wallet. That's number one. <laughs> number two is the uh, 1960s and 70s band bread fronted by David Gates. <laughs> number three, I'm going to go with garlic bread and actual bread because uh, I do like garlic bread. Number four, if, you, if you've ever been to Texas Roadhouse, they have these rolls with apple butter. Those are pretty good. They're hard to put those down. Yeah, yeah. And number five, I couldn't think of another bread that I really like, so I said panko breadcrumbs. <laughs> all right, all right. I uh, I'm gonna go in reverse order to build the suspense for my list. So number five, I went with pita, pita bread. Number four, brioche. Uh, number three, cornbread. Number two, baguette. And number one, banana bread. Um, it was funny. Eric and I talked before the podcast. Well, Eric asked me for clarification. What does he mean by favorite breads? I think just what are your favorite breads? Um, and neither of us actually uh, consume much bread at home. We try to keep the bread out of our out of our home. So it's kind of funny. But I certainly have indulged in bread and, and don't think bread is bad. But uh, I'm not a huge bread guy. And I didn't I didn't take up uh, any like sourdough starters, which was a, a fad during the pandemic of bread making. Um, though I do uh, some baking from time to time, it's uh, I haven't done much bread making. Although I did, I did make a banana bread a couple of times, but um, nothing too exciting. All right, next top five, top five cities in your home state. Okay, I guess I'll build the suspense. I'm from Ohio, uh, so I went number five. I went with Canton, largely because it has the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yep. Four, I went with Dayton. It's a nice size city with a lot to do. And I have a lot of people that I love there. So Dayton's for um, Cleveland is where I was born. The mistake on the lake <laughs> at a river, Cuyahoga river catch fire when I was a little kid. So I will go three there and the rock and roll hall of fame, Cleveland rocks. Two is Cincinnati. I, I think Cincinnati is probably the most fun city in Ohio. Um, you got the Ohio river. You got a lot of sports. You got, Montgomery and ribs. You got the Cincinnati chili scene. There's just a lot of stuff to do there. And number one, I'll go with the city where I grew up and that's Columbus. Um, and I won't elaborate on why. <laughs> you probably caused a lot of trouble in Columbus your day. I've actually been to 
I don't think I've ever actually been to Dayton. I've driven through Dayton, but I don't know that I've ever spent any time in Dayton, but I've been all the other places and I spent a semester in Columbus as an intern for the Columbus dispatch. Um, and that was, that was a good time. Although I wasn't 21 yet, so I couldn't fully uh, embrace what Columbus had to offer, but it was still a, a good time. I really liked Columbus a lot. I, I struggle with like home state questions because I was born in Michigan and I lived there uh, through kindergarten, but I moved to Indiana when I was in, to start first grade. So I, 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 I guess I still consider Michigan my home state, although I know much more about Indiana just because I've lived most of my life in Indiana um, and grew up in most of the, most of the memories of my life are from Indiana, but I, I, I'll do Michigan since we're in Indiana. Maybe that's not as exciting. Um, number five, I went with Detroit. Um, number four, Ann Arbor, even though, uh, I think even Notre Dame fans can find something fun to do in Ann Arbor. Number three, uh, this is where the the list starts to get very biased. Number three is Kalamazoo, um, because that's where I was born. Um, Number two is New Buffalo, Michigan, um, because that's where my parents met each other and where the James family epicenter is in New Buffalo, Michigan. And then number one for me for Michigan is Mackinac Island, and that's where we used to go pretty much every year when I was growing up with my grandparents and – have vacations up there. So I was a big Mackinac. My grandpa actually lost me on Mackinac Island once when I was really young. Thankfully, I don't remember that experience and it wasn't, it wasn't a traumatic experience for me, but I have very fond memories of, of Mackinac Island. So they, that's the number one city in Michigan, in my opinion. I have not been to Mackinac Island. My number one city in Michigan would be Traverse City. I really enjoyed a vacation up there. Cool. Yeah. The, the, I, up, up north in Michigan, we was, we used to go to a little lake called Douglas Lake. Um, and, uh, it was, a uh, it was a really good time. There's lots of s- summer up North in Michigan, I think is a re- really uh, good place to be. And the last thing we have from one foot down is what's the most annoying hay band. You should really try blank instead thing. Did you get come up with any good answers? Oh yeah. I, I, there's <laughs> no question. And the person that says this to me is my mom. So she doesn't say, Hey man, uh, <laughs> but, it's cauliflower pizza and there's <laughs> no way that you're going to marry the thing that I detest the most in the food world with the thing that I probably love the most in the food world. I am not marrying those two concepts. So cauliflower is at the bottom of the barrel for you. I, I like cauliflower. I've never had a cauliflower pizza though. I don't know. Like pizza is too good to mess with. I don't know why you'd want like a lesser version of pizza. If, if you're going to eat pizza, just indulge and have the, have the bad parts of it and then eat healthy every for the other meals. But yeah, I've never tried cauliflower pizza. So that's a good answer. Um, my answer, I went with TV and for me, it was game of Thrones. Everyone, everyone wanted me to watch game of Thrones. And I watch a lot of television, but game of Thrones just didn't appeal to me. And then, then when I would get behind people were like, well, you need to watch. It. I was like, well, I can't even watch it now because there's spoilers all over the place. I know what everything that happened. So um, it just was not something that I had much interest in, even though people tried to always try to convince me. So that was the, that's probably the most annoying one because no one would let me live that down that I didn't watch Game of Thrones. And um, so that's that's the top of the list for me. Then the last one from our boss, Michael Wamba at, uh, at M. Wamba, our sports editor at the South Bend Tribune, when's the next taco bar? Um, I think when everybody's vaccinated and I am the first one, no, I'm the second one in the sports department to be fully vaccinated. Gail Bell beat me to the punch. So we've got two of us. So I'm going to guess May. Um, 
and we're going to have one and it's going to be the best one ever. So when it's safe to do so, it's, we're going to blow it out. So, yeah, we got to do one. Sadly, Carter Carls was, was laid off by the company and he did not get to experience a, a taco bar during his time at the Tribune, partially because we were like moving buildings. Um, and then obviously the last year during COVID it was, isn't exactly the best time to hold a taco bar. Um, but we, when we can find a safe way, we got to get Carter up here um, to do that and uh, have, have, have a big taco bar. So we probably, we, we probably, uh, I mean, our taco bars, the last time we had them, the, the crowds were growing. So we need to be, we need to be careful because they, it, it would expand beyond just the, the sports department <laughs> members. Uh, we, we would have lots of, we, we, if we want it, we could have taco bar groupies essentially. Um, so we need to be careful in the COVID times of when we, can responsibly host the next taco bar, but hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And one of the funnies about one of the things that didn't start as part of the tradition is getting a cake. And I think Mike Varell made the cakes more popular because he got a picture of Brian Kelly uh, modeling the shirt one year where he's <laughs> kind of opening up his jacket and modeling that. And there are two little kids fighting over who got to eat Brian Kelly's head on the cake. But we got to get one with Carter being chased by wasps. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of things. Uh, I think, I think the last one we had in the Tribune building, I actually went to the roof of the Tribune building, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, but that, that, that happened as well. Ruby floats were always a part of, uh, yeah. I should clarify, there's no alcohol involved in, the, in, the, yeah. in this you taco bag. <laughs> you feel like you've had alcohol because you have like this taco coma after. Yeah, you have a food coma. Yeah, you need a nap. Uh, it, you don't want to schedule yourself to work after the taco bar because you're just setting yourself up for failure if that that's happening. But uh, I sure do miss the taco bars, and hopefully we can do another one and um, let Mike be a part of his first one officially as a sports department member. Well, all right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave us a review. Um, we will be back as news dictates here in March. Hopefully, especially when spring football gets going, we'll probably be at a probably a close to a weekly basis. But until then, stick with ndinsider.com for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage news. Mm-hmm.